0: would you allow a parent to take this medication I don't think so I really don't I don't think so I think you know Alzheimer's is is, is bad enough I'm I'm not gonna risk brain swelling and brain bleeds yeah. on top of that
1: especially like if the so, 24 such a modest a, a modest you know you know uh, yeah
0: yeah and it I, may not even do anything yeah you know And especially if we catch it early enough there, you know, I've seen behavioral um, interventions that can be done to help. So like, I want to exhaust everything that we can without having to try some drug that could potentially make things exponentially worse. Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Stay well out there, folks, and continue taking steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, getting adequate sleep, and seeing your healthcare providers regularly. And protect
1: yourself and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine and booster, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. Remember, health is a human right.
0: Oh, Portland!
1: And next, another special segment for Love Your Pet Day. The official start of our winter membership drive here at KBOO Portland.
0: I'm going to tell you about a cat named Trouble. I know what you're thinking. All cats are Trouble. It's true. They probably are. I've seen the TikTok videos, but my cat, Trouble, she was so much more. You see, I never realized that a cat could be so loyal. She was, I don't know. When I saw her, I thought she was crazy. She ran around the room, especially after she used the litter box, like her tail was on fire or something. It was hilarious. We'd be petting her and like, 30 seconds later she would just reach around and snap at you I had so many scratches and bite marks from her she was cuckoo but again she was loyal and I never knew that until the end so a little over 13 years ago I was struggling with substance abuse especially alcoholism and I got to the point where I had burned all my bridges. You know, I, I found a book at a yard sale, one of those chicken soup for the soul books. It was crap. I tried yoga, found a therapist. They suggested I go to, to rehab, you know, like the Amy Winehouse song. I was like, hell no, because what would I do with my cat? You know, I I mean, I knew my little Honda Civic was no place for myself and my cats. I knew I had to do something, and she deserved better. Hell, I deserved better. So I got on the phone and made some calls, you know, and I, I found a place for trouble. So I was at this residential treatment facility for six months, and it sucked. But at the end, it worked out great, you know. Here I am. Um, The thing about it is that finding a home for your cat, and if you're listening to me right now, you know, it's hard. Trouble went to three different homes during that six-month period. First thing I did when I got out is went to go fetch her. And I was super lucky. I found a sober living that would take my cat and myself. And so I had a place for us both to go. So I get out of treatment and I go to the place, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend, a trailer park, you know, no disrespect, but these folks were still in the middle of their disease and their addiction and they were not tidy housekeepers. Poor Trouble was cowering in the corner of a room that was just looked like a hoarder's room and she was skinny and mangy and just not well so somehow she kind of recognized me and I saw that familiar light in her eyes so I took her back to the sober living and got her into a vet and tried to get her back to normal back to what we used to be but things have changed you know she just wasn't the same A couple weeks later, I was in bed at the wee hours of the morning. And you may know the sound, and I didn't. But she was taking her last breaths of air. And, you know, the thing about it is cats like dogs. They're very loyal. And the way I look at it now and the tattoo on my ankle reminds me of how loyal trouble really was she was a lot of trouble i was a lot of trouble but one thing that's common and one thing that's for sure is that those relationships sometimes we don't realize how important and and how beneath the surface they are is just you don't know until they're gone and i'm here today to tell you that look around you because those people, those animals, those pets, they're in your life right now. Give them a hug because we're all not going to be around forever. So thanks for letting me tell you about Trump. Hi, this is
2: Dwight Yoakam, and you're listening to KBOO.
1: Welcome to Labor Radio on KBOO Portland. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Ellie Gillan. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we would first just like to give a special thanks and shout out to the Labor Radio Podcast Network for hosting podcasted versions of our show each month. Uh, be sure to check that out at laborradionetwork.org. And uh, before we get started, uh, I would just like to let you, our listeners, know that KBU is in the middle of our all thrills, no frills, winter membership fundraising drive. Don't forget that Kbu is commercial-free, volunteer-powered radio made possible by amazing people like you. In fact, 80% of the station's fundraising, or funding, comes from the generosity of our members. Uh, if you can, please help us reach our uh, fundraising goal of $17,000. Just go to kboo.fm give or text kboo to 44321. We here at Labor Radio thank you so much for your support. Uh, and now on to what we're actually going to be discussing on the show today. Um, today we're doing a very serious yet sadly predictable follow-up on a topic we've covered extensively on this program before. Uh, Namely, the unsafe workplaces and unfair labor practices of the American railroad industry. Now, as you most likely have already heard at this point, on February 3rd, a horrifying railroad uh, accident took place when uh, a 150-car Norfolk Southern uh, freight train derailed just near uh, East Palestine, Ohio. About 20 of the train's cars were transporting toxic materials. Um, And when the train derailed, 10 of those cars were involved in the ensuing 50-car pileup, um, And among those piled up cars were five cars that contained vinyl chloride, a carcinogenic and highly combustible chemical that is actually used to make PVC plastics. Um, the crash caused much of those chemicals to burst into flames, creating a 100-foot-high fireball that you've likely seen the videos of already, uh, while the rest of the, the chemicals were, began seeping into the nearby streams that feed directly into the Ohio River. Uh, The chemical fire burned for five days, along with the controlled release of toxic gases from several tanker cars uh, that were at risk of exploding. And all of that completely contaminated the living environment for humans as well as wildlife uh, for a large swath of the area between Youngstown, Ohio, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, The emissions from the fire and the controlled releases created a cloud of phosgene gas that uh, is basically the same toxic gas that was used to poison soldiers in the battlefields of World War I. So just to give an idea of what we're dealing with here. Um, And actually, according to the National Cancer Institute, exposure to that gas is associated with an increased risk of a rare form of liver cancer, uh, as well as primary liver cancer, uh, brain and lung cancers, lymphoma, and leukemia. And the chemical can also enter water supplies and be ingested. Which is why it's so concerning that a lot of it also seeped into the Ohio River. Um, So yeah, I mean, as a result of that incident, thousands of residents in the surrounding areas were forced to uh, flee their homes, uh, and there have been a number of reports of dead fish and farm animals as well as house pets, uh, you know, within the contaminated area. And actually, uh, the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency reported that the spill has already killed an estimated three hundred or three thousand five hundred fish. Uh, and that's just in the immediate area. That's you know not to say what's coming down downstream and you know in the coming weeks and months from this. So in all, this event has created an ongoing environmental and public health disaster that some have likened to the Chernobyl nuclear meltdown of 1986, uh, and we all know how that turned out. Um, and it has cities and towns along the banks of the Ohio and Mississippi rivers bracing for potential contamination of their air and drinking water. Uh, the ohio is actually the third largest river by discharge volume in the united states and it flows directly into the mississippi river meeting it just south of illinois near st louis so basically everything along the mississippi river heading you know from st louis down into the gulf of mexico could also see fallout from this disaster as the plume split spreads down the ohio and into the mississippi rivers Now, astonishingly, this was actually the third major derailment in the state of Ohio over the last four months. Um, The other two were not quite as deadly or disastrous, but they still were major derailments. And they kind of, you know, showed a pattern that this is not an isolated incident, but rather that it was building up to something bigger on the scale that we're now seeing. Um, And although the public and media attention is rightfully focused on the catastrophic consequences of this derailment... Railroad workers are doing their best to make it clear that the causes of this accident were entirely avoidable. Um, and in fact, railroad workers have been raising red flags and trying to do everything within their power to prevent such disasters for a long time. Um, they, you know, forcing the major Class 1 carriers uh, to address the exact conditions that led to, to, uh, to this train derailment was a large part of the demands that were presented by the unions last fall in their preparation before going on strike, or, you know, the the strike that never was. Um, And in fact, the Railroad Workers United, or the RWU, uh, which is an interunion caucus made up of railroad workers from across the industry, uh, has argued repeatedly that disasters such as this were, you know, quote, years in the making, um, and would be the inevitable consequence of Wall Street-backed policy decisions that have hollowed out the industry's workforce, pushed remaining employees to chronic exhaustion, and sacrificed workplace and equipment safety standards uh, in the name of profits. Now, in a statement following the crash, the RWU said, quote, uh, the root causes of this wreck, the same ones we've uh, sing- singled out repeatedly, are associated with the hedge fund-initiated operating model known as Precision Scheduled Railroading, or PSR. Uh, In essence, the short-term profit imperative has made cutting costs, employees, procedures, and resources the top priority. Uh, And in this case, Norfolk Southern and the other carriers have eliminated many of the critical mechanical uh, positions and locations necessary to guarantee protection against these kinds of failures. Um, and actually, you know, we've discussed the precision scheduled railroading a couple of times before on this show. Uh, but just as a refresher for folks who maybe hadn't tuned into those, um, that system is, um, it has increased the demands on employees' time while allowing management to reduce the industry's workforce by over 40,000 jobs. Um, this means that railroads are trying to run their, these complex operations with fewer and fewer workers. Uh, and actually, in fact, the, uh, the industry itself cut 22% of frontline jobs since 2017. So that's a pretty drastic shrinking of the amount of people that are actually trained and operating these this heavy machinery and inspecting things. Um, you know, so it kind of shows you what the workers, the argument the workers are making that they you know need better uh, training and they need more employees and stuff. But also, it shows that you know this kind of event may likely have happened regardless of whether or not it happened here, would have happened somewhere, uh, just because they've been cutting their workforce so drastically. Um, Now, this approach, which management calls, you know, efficiency, really just means overworked workers performing more critical safety checks uh, and inspections in less time than they were designed to be performed in. Um, And actually, Matthew Buck, who is a fellow uh, at the American Economic Liberties Project, put it, Pretty well, uh, I think he said. Wall Street judges railroad success based in part on spending less money running the railroad and more on stock buybacks or dividends. Theoretically, focusing on lower operating ratios pushes railroads to be more efficient. To do it, to do more with less. But when railroads have uh, have the market power they have today, they can instead do less with less, uh, which is the way that shippers and workers have been putting it. Um, <clears throat> now, you know, the immediate cause of the wreck. Uh, appears to have been a 19th-century-style mechanical failure of the axle on one of the cars, which, you know, was actually a, an overheated... It came from an overheated bearing, uh, which led to the derailment, uh, jackknifing of the tumbling cars, and then, you know, ultimately the massive explosion that happened after that. Um, but as the RWU, the Union, uh, has pointed out, quote, there is no way the 21st century... Uh, there's no way in the 21st century, save for a combination of incompetence and disregard to public safety, that such a defect should still be threatening our communities. Um, you know, and they're right, you know, because they argue, their, their larger argument uh, is that there's no way that the impending failure of such an essential piece of equipment would have been missed were the bosses to have assigned an appropriate number of workers to inspect the train, who were also given a sufficient amount of time in which to conduct those inspections. Um, you know, it's it's it goes without saying, but like, if there are safety checks that need to be made, you need to make sure that people, that there's the right people doing it, there's enough people doing those jobs, and also that they have enough time to make all of the inspections necessary. If you, you know, were previously given three minutes to inspect each individual car, and now you're given 90 seconds to do it, it's very likely that you're going to miss, you know, some major you know, pretty obvious glaring uh, faults like this. Um, You know, and along with all of that, another element of the precision-scheduled railroading is that uh, it manages freight movement uh, at the individual car level as opposed to the traditional method of managing it uh, by the entire train, which, you know, doing it that would the, the traditional way ensures that the train would be, you know, is built with the heavier cars at the head of the train and the lighter ones bringing up the rear. So, you know, as a result of of that change, it appears that the train in Ohio had its collective weight unbalanced with 40% of its weight uh, on the rear one-third of the train. And, you know, so as you might imagine, this led the heavier cars in the back to slam into the lighter ones in front of them, causing the jackknifing that sent the 50 cars tumbling off the tracks and sparking that catastrophic fire. you know, on top of that, like, there also is issues with braking. You know, you have uh, a lot of these trains still have air brake systems, which basically says, you know sends air through pneumatic tube from car to car to car, from the front all the way to the back. So even though the, the lighter cars in the front were starting to brake, the heavier cars in the back might not have been begun braking yet, and they start slamming into the ones in front of them before they get the signal to brake. All of that leads to, you know, the exact disaster we've seen here. Uh, And again, that's all just Civil War era technology that they're still using on these 21st century trains. Um, Now, you know, fortunately, despite these failures, uh, the train's three-person crew was able to quickly mobilize together and minimize damage and prevent immediate loss of life. Um, Now, of course, had the railroads already enacted their plan to cut crews down to one member, uh, this would have been an impossible task, and the disaster would certainly have been even more extreme so you know we're everyone in the area and everyone you know working in the industry is very lucky they had not enacted their desired cut for even more employee cutting
2: yeah and I think um, you know we talk about it a lot on the show in terms of union negotiations and kind of what's targeted and what are priorities for the unions and I think there's a lot of pushback from folks who don't have a great understanding where They assume it's around wages and things like this and obviously that is always part of the negotiations but one gigantic part of it was about the precision you know uh railroading uh, system and you know how it affected workers right running more freight with less people and less time for inspections and maintenance you know trying to kind of emulate another thing we've talked a lot about on the show which is the just-in-time kind of supply chain management Mm -hmm. of you know kind of um Uh, other other industries and other verticals right that is that is all about kind of profitability and kind of bringing that to to an industry like you know railroads um can cause a ton of problems and we're seeing that um and and obviously you know we've touched on it but these these railroads are not struggling um and we you know you mentioned the buyback programs and things like this so um you know we'll we'll probably touch on some of the lobbying that goes on as well yeah Um, but clearly these are things that could be happening but Uh, we're chasing something else in these scenarios
1: yeah and you mean you're absolutely right to bring up the idea that this is sort of just part of the larger trend within the economy of the uh, Mm -hmm. just-in-time delivery process but even you know so the 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 rail carriers have put forward this scheduling system that that they think is more efficient for them but there's also been a lot of pushback from like retailers and folks who ship using the rails saying that this new system has led to massive delays as well as like lost items. And, you know, because when you, when you don't account for the entire train, but rather you go car by car, it seems like it'd be a lot easier to misplace, you know, attach one individual car to the wrong train or leave it in the yard or misplace something. Uh, and that seems to be the case. And that, that is what a lot of the folks who use these freight uh, shipping systems have been complaining about over the last, you know, five years or so since they enacted this, uh, this new scheduling system. If you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Labor Radio here on listener-supported KBOO Community Radio. We'll be right back to our discussion about the ongoing railroad disaster in Ohio in just a moment. But I want to drop a quick reminder here to please donate to KBOO right now during our winter membership drive. And after the show is done, be sure to check, um, check out all the great all-thrills, no-frills special programming we've got at kboo.fm backslash thrills. Please uh, help us reach our $17,000 fundraising goal by donating today at kebufm backslash give. Or if you're using the KBU mobile app, just click on the donate button. Thank you for supporting commu- uh, Community powered Radio. Uh, and now back to our discussion about the ongoing rail disaster in Ohio here on Labor Radio. So yeah, we were just discussing how, you know, the the... Precision scheduled railroading program that has been uh, rolled out on most major carriers over the last you know five years or so uh, is just part and parcel with the larger you know just in time scheduling and uh, shipping's you know system within our economy. Mm-hmm. But that it really has not provided the same types of results for the customer as well as for the employee. Um, and you know it 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 could be argued, although it would be false, but it could be argued that a lot of these uh, you know, cost-cutting measures, whether it's through scheduling or through reducing the number of employees that, that these companies have, might be a result of the fact that the industry is shrinking, or that it is you know not as profitable as it was, or that they're you know they're they're hurting their bottom line. But that's just you know not the case. Uh, the uh, the the industry itself is is seeing record profits, and Norfolk Southern, the company that ran the train that 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 crashed in Ohio. Uh, reported a record $12 billion in profit from 2022 and also announced a new $10 billion stock buyback program to benefit their shareholders, uh, you know, in direct detriment to their workforce instead of reinvesting in the company. Um, You know...
2: I think, well, so just to counter that in a funny manner, I, you know, I think in some ways they are reinvesting in the company in that in addition to a lot of the buyback programs, um, companies like this and industries like this also do a ton of lobbying, which is not cheap kind of in Washington, D.C. You know, we touched on the air brakes and some of the older kind of style um, technology that are on the trains. And there are huge amounts of lobbying happening uh, at the federal and state levels to kind of ensure that technology increases do not have to be rolled out to their aging train uh, you know kind of um, force that they have Um, so so that again to kind of maintain those profits Um, so you know in a way they are but they're spending money in a way that I think many industries do which is to avoid spending what they they view as kind of an unreasonable amount of money uh, to kind of maintain their own business model.
1: Yeah it's interesting like they are reinvesting in their company in in the sense of like, you know, making it the most profitable version of itself can be not necessarily reinvesting in a way that is beneficial to their Workforce, Yeah. No, mm-hmm. well, absolutely. I see what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, no, no, of course. And and yeah. really kind of just hammers home stuff that we've said on, on a ton of episodes here where, again, the stock price is not looking at someone's profitability for next year. Right. It's strictly in the quarter that they're in. And so, yeah. you know, that, that's how these companies are going to act. And that's how right. these industries are going to act.
1: Yeah. Like, it's not like this is an outlier industry where they're doing this, mm-hmm. you know, this, this sort of short-term profit vision you know, outside of the norm, but it's it is really where our economy has gone and where most large companies are. Like that's just how you have to think. And it, it is not great for the workforce, but from a shareholder perspective or from an executive perspective, it does make sense. Yeah. But, but again, just hammering at
2: home, you know, not only are there record profits that aren't getting to the, the, the worker, but you know, they're, they're doing things to benefit again, the stock price and then also spending money so that they don't have to do things to benefit them. Yeah. So it's, it's not only a missed wages, right. But it's the precision uh, scheduled railroading, right. It's the not updating um, the, the aging technology in there in all of the training that they have, right? It's um, removing folks so that they have less time to do inspections, less time to handle work that needs to be done. And then again, kind of an exhaustion of folks as they, you know, again, as we touched on, have less sick days and PTO days and are punished for taking Unpaid, uh, you know, parts of that time, and you know, obviously, we we haven't dove too deep into the demographics um, of this stuff, but I would gander, I would, I would go as far as to say that people probably, as they age out or get injured, it's a younger force coming in, and then who have less experience, and um, you know, they're they're having to deal with situations that probably wouldn't have happened before. Uh, you know, you touch on kind of a single person. Uh, kind of uh, crew for for the train which is something they've touched on in the past and I think are shooting their sights for so you can imagine a scenario with a kind of younger less experienced conductor on a train by themselves in a scenario like this where they're not even sure right if the materials are are, that they have in the train are labeled correctly or even if they know that they're hazardous right which which is another something that we didn't dive in on this topic but I think that you know you can see how as something like precision railroading or precision scheduled railroading if you take it to its extreme much like many things in life uh, right it can become dangerous very quickly yeah absolutely i mean of
1: course if if the whole goal is to basically call the workforce and, and shrink it and make it as you know as cost effective for the company as possible then as you said, the the workers who are likely getting laid off or, you know, in a way are probably the ones who make the most who have probably been there the longest.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and I think it's important to note as well that a lot of these companies can bloat, right? And I, I don't think... You know, uh, our show or any other shows are trying to say that that's not possible, right? I think many times with some of these tech companies, especially during the yeah. pandemic, there was legitimate bloat. Again, I think you could go and say that the executive staffs there really should understand what's going on in the market, and should there it should be in their place not to. Um, but I do think, right, we're not advocating for there always needs to be, you know, a. Um, uh, an overabundance of, of labor though. I mean, I think we would like to see that, <laughs> we, um, yeah, but again, lot.
1: right. I, I think here we're talking about bare minimum type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, it's one thing if there's bloat within, I mean, we, we we've kind of seen it recently. Like, I don't know if it was legitimate, yeah. bloat, but there was a lot of layoffs at a company, you know, Twitter. Yeah. And they've been running on a skeleton crew. Now there have been issues with the the platform functioning itself. Absolutely. But that doesn't lead to death. Yes. You know, whereas like this industry, rail and specifically the carrying of hazardous materials, you reduce the number of people working and doing safety inspections that leads directly to this type of disaster. And so it's two very different types of, you know, bloat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: we won't, we obviously won't get into the Twitter (laughs) thing. I think one could argue that a lack of moderation actually can lead to kind of misinformation and people being harmed, but obviously we're, we're not on that today. Um, But, but absolutely, absolutely right. In that, um, you know, if the labor has to um, negotiate differently and be under different rules, you know, one would think that uh, so too would their
1: work. You would think. And, you know, of course, yeah, like, as a result of the company doing these, you know, having the record profits in Norfolk Southern and, and putting a lot of that back into their stock buybacks, you know, the, the workers themselves at that company still don't have, don't even have a guaranteed paid sick day. Mm-hmm. And no paid sick leave guaranteed for them. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, it, in all of the, like, this, this disaster that, that happened and is still ongoing in Ohio, uh there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and blame assigning and sort of parsing through who's to blame and where the fault lies and all that stuff, uh that is sure to come if it's not already begun at this point um but it should not be lost among all of that that in the fall of 2022 uh the railroad workers tried to strike over these issues and tried to warn the public and regulators about these these impending problems um but they were, you know, that, that's what—that's one of the main things they were trying to do within their strike. But unfortunately, they were actually stopped by Congress and the Biden administration, the White House. Uh, they were—they had basically a contract thrust upon them that they were forced to accept, and it, the strike was was stopped, and a lot of their demands were not met. You know, but nonetheless, the workers themselves and their union have continued to raise red flags of warning about impending disasters right along. With the they're advocating they do for you know better working conditions and safer rail outcomes and you know more sick time and stuff like that. So it is it is it goes hand in hand with their demands for their you know their individual demands for their the better treatment at work and better pay. That they are also trying to create a better safe environment for rail traffic moving around this country, which means for communities all around this country too. Um, You know, despite uh Despite that though you know during his recent State of the Union address, President Biden did not mention uh, the plight of the rail workers and nor did he even happen to mention the environmental crisis that is going on right now in in Ohio so that that did seem a little curious although it may have been too fresh to have fitted into the uh, the speech that he'd written out um, but you know just to sort of wrap up our show because we are running out of time here uh You know, when another train derails, and, you know, it certainly will, because this has already happened and will continue to happen. Uh, And when we see, you know, new images of balls of fire, you know, rising up out of the disaster and black clouds, you know, all over the the skies of Ohio or New Jersey or any other, you know, community or state in this country. uh, Know that it's not just a freak accident, but in fact, it is a systemic problem with lucrative, you know, lucrative railroad companies putting profit over the people that work for them and the people that, that their, their rolling stock roll past, you know, the communities that they go through Uh, and they're doing it again and again Um, and know that there are answers out there that the union railroad workers have been clearly and repeatedly stated.